Hello, back for another chat after last night's with Steph from Low Hummer. Tonight we got James Cooper, who has been playing music in Hull for absolutely ages. It was difficult to know which band of his to put as the subheading when I put the post out today, advertising that he was going to be joining us for a chat. He's um, He's been in bands such as The Cliques, who were going when I was a nipper, when I was about 16 and shouldn't have been in the pubs. He's been in bands like Mother with GST Cardinals frontman Dave Sinclair, sadly no longer with us. Uh, nor is Simon, the frontman of The Cliques, in fact. And he's now the drummer for the Holy Orders and the lead singer for Nirvana, who are a Nirvana tribute act. So me and James, we've we've known each other for quite a few years. We've got I'm sure. I think we're going to try and go in a somewhat chronological order and work through things. And uh, here he is. How are you doing, man? Uh, yeah, I'm good. Can I turn this to the side? Does that still work? Uh, I don't think so, man. Awesome. How's, uh, how's lockdown going for you? Are you working? Are you keeping yourself busy? Keeping yourself sane? Uh, well, it's a long, a long, long journey, isn't it? Um, I've kind of just been finding myself doing little bits of everything, really, to keep going, like playing little bits of music, doing little odd jobs around the house that I've been meaning to do for two years. Uh, finally did the garden, which looked like a rainforest and now looks like a garden. So I'm quite pleased with myself about that. It's the little things in life. Absolutely. Yeah, it's difficult. I think I'm I'm in the same boat, just doing whatever sort of takes my fancy at any given moment. And uh, yeah, trying to get things done and achieve things, but also take the time to chill out as well. Yeah, that's it. I think the best part about it is because when I'm working, I'm always working. And then when I'm not working, I'm in the bands and... You know, all over the place with one band as it is. So when you're in three or four at the same time, it's kind of a bit mind-boggling. So it's it's kind of been a bit of a breath of fresh air, and a lot of the stress and tension is kind of like that's that's gone now. So I'm kind of missing it all and wanting to get back like as soon as possible because I think now I'm going the other way where I'm starting to go crazy with not doing anything. So it's a bit. And so many bands. I was saying in the intro then the amount of bands. I mean, obviously we spoke just before we came live, and you did give me a list. <laughs> at my request of what bands you've been in and yeah. uh, a few of those I wasn't familiar with obviously there are a few that I am and uh, I was going to suggest that we just started at the beginning really or the beginning for me anyway uh, when I was 16 and my friends me and my friends were starting to go to gigs and get into you know emptying a bottle of cheap energy drink out, filling the rest with vodka, necking that because we knew we didn't have the balls to go to the bar and then checking out whatever bands were going. It was you, Simon, and is it Sam? In the cliques. Yeah, good old Sam. And when I came to the cliques, you were already pretty established, at least in Hull. I'm not sure what about nationally, like uh, other bands like the Paddingtons were obviously doing big things at that time. You were definitely massive in Hull. You were playing all the time, uh, Adelphi, Lamp, probably Ringside. What else? What? How did the cliques come to be? Because I wasn't there at the start. I came when you were already really kicking things up a gear. Tell us about that. Yeah, that was like, um, 
Simon and I were already like best mates in school. We'd kind of like from being nine or ten years old, grew up just being little prats, um, and we never really grew up with that. But uh, after a few years, it kind of moved to a different school, and we lost touch for a couple of years. Um, and it was kind of around that stage when he moved away that I'd started learning. Uh, at the time, I was I picked up guitar first, so I was like starting my own band with that. Um, and then I eventually, like, just real strangely bumped into him, um, not far from where I live, actually, on East Hull. Um, and so he was just like, oh, fucking hell, let's get together and have a drink. Um, so we got together and he's like, oh, I really want to start a band. And at that time, I didn't even know that he was a musician. Like, um, And so he wanted me to go and be the singer for his new band, which he already had the name for. Like, everything was already planned out, kind of. Um and so we just like went and partied and he showed me his songs. And at the time, I remember that I didn't even like really like the songs. I just wanted to be like with my best mate again and hanging around. And uh, so I suggested that he be the singer and play his songs because I think it'd sound better coming from him. And I'll I'll just learn how to play the drums and pick that up. Um, and so for the first like six months of the band, like we were like the scrappiest band in the world. Like cause every every one of us was just kind of like self-taught and it was rough as fuck. And so we just, we just went for it like that. Um, played as many gigs as we could and just absolutely hammered it. Like, cause we all kind of like moved into a friend's house and was just partying all the time, but we were always together. So it was just like party, practice, party, practice, gig, party, practice. And and it was just like that 24 seven, like as what I, what I thought was like the rock star lifestyle at the time kind of thing. So we just did that and uh after a while of just absolutely hammering it we kind of like tightened up as a unit and um we were just all about that like punky lifestyle so we just, we kind of we got a small following of like football fans that just started coming to the gigs and they enjoyed it the way that we were with like we were just kind of like brothers on stage and just didn't really care about anything else and i think people kind of picked up on that feeling of it and wanted part of it and so the football guys were like the first at it and they were just like a dedicated following then and then from then it just got bigger and bigger and bigger um, and was just a lot of fucking fun. Like, loved it. I'd do it again today if I could. Party practice, party practice sounds massively unhealthy, but I'm sure it was a hell of a lot of fun. The, the thing that sticks out in the mind, in the memory for me about them times is how crazy all at least all of the hull gigs were um i do remember uh one time the cliques needed a last minute lift to huddersfield so me and my best friend joe joe had recently learned to drive and we sort of thought hell yeah let's get involved let's uh let's show that we are that we're as cool as that oh let's let's introduce ourselves to the lads and try and get in there and i think when you're young when you're starting off in music and you look at people around you that are already doing it, um, it can be easy to put those people or yourselves on like a pedestal and think, wow, these guys are selling out Adelphi, selling out Lamp. But what struck, what struck me back then was just how approachable everyone was, whether it was yourself or Simon, or we'll get to Dave in a little bit from GST Cardinals. These These were like my heroes as far as it as far as it goes locally 
and everybody was so approachable. And you basically brought us along for the party in Huddersfield. All the gigs were crazy, as far as I remember. Was it easier back then to get a following like that? It seems like maybe the football crowd coming to every gig would uh, would sort of bring a bit of the craziness. But it obviously depended on you guys playing on stage and playing such accessible, easy-to-remember songs that people could get behind like that. What do you think? Was it easier back then? To be honest, I feel like it's easier these days because people are a lot more supportive of local music. Like in, in the old days, there are, like whether you wrote good songs or you had like that good feeling at a gig or the camaraderie on stage and whatnot. Sorry, I've got a little a new puppy and it's crazy. Um, yeah, it's, there's just got to be something about a band or there definitely used to be like something about a band um, that brought people to the gigs and with us I think it was just that you knew it was going to be a wild time like it wasn't necessarily about the music and some of the songs were really good songs but then some of the songs were really shit songs and it was just like people wanted to be there for the atmosphere they knew it was going to kick off they knew there was going to be a party afterwards and they knew we were just going to have a laugh like that was what it was all about for us um, but these days people are a lot more supportive and there are, uh, there's so many people these days like coming up and seeing bands like that and wanting to be musicians and and it's just like I think the whole city in general just has this amazingly broad range of really talented musicians and some some bands are like sharing band members and others are like you know stuck to one dedicated band but it's um it's definitely much different these days to how it used to be and I, I think because of it it's a lot easier for people to like you just because of there is that like support there. I mean, there's bands that I wouldn't say that I necessarily liked, but I'd support them because they're my friends or they're friends of friends. Whereas in the old days, like when when we first started out, the Paddingtons weren't like this really good band that were before us. They were like, we need to be bigger than them. And it was never going to be that way um, because the Paddingtons were a fucking amazing band, to be fair. Um, and so we were just kind of like always in their shadow. And uh, that's kind of like what it felt like at the time. But I think if if you'd have put the same bands together these days, it would have been, uh, it would have just been a lot more fun because we would probably be playing together at the same gigs. And I mean, I, I, I know the guys from the pads and I love them all to bits. Like they're all real good guys. They'd invite you, invite you to their house for a cup of tea, They'd invite you to a party. Like it's, that's what I mean about these days. Like everything, everybody's just a lot more supportive of each other. It wasn't like that in the old days. It was you saw people as competition rather than friends and people that should be supporting. I guess for me, that's how I've always known it. So as I mentioned, like the, there'll be a whole host of people my age that started playing music. Obviously, not just because Oasis and Arctic Monkeys had like shown you like how far it could go. But it takes that local attitude and the local scene to be to be doing things so that you can really realise that like the person that you talk to and that you know also does this and, and really makes it seem possible. And you guys in the cliques and the Paddingtons and GST Cardinals definitely did that for me. And I'm sure that's the case for like loads of people my age. But the fact is that now I've been doing it for 10 years 
I I consider a lot of you guys my friends now, rather than just these people that were doing it there before me. And I think that's like speaks volumes about how nice and how inclusive the whole music scene has become over the years. And it's nice to hear you sort of allude to that in saying that it maybe wasn't that to begin with, but it is now. I'm hoping to get uh, either of the, the Dobbs brothers, Grant or Lloyd, on for one of these chats. I think Grant is interested, and I'm sure Lloyd will be as well. Oh, yeah, they'll, they'll both definitely be interested. Like, they love to gab about the local music scene, like, good lads. Do you have, uh, do you have a, a cliques gig that sticks out in the mind as the best one or a particularly memorable one? I'm sure you could tell us some incredible stories if you feel up to it. I'm sure I might not be able to tell you some stories as well. Um, Family-friendly ones, obviously. Yeah. Um, there were a really... I mean, probably... We were only together three or four years, but in those three or four years, we maybe played 300 gigs or something. Um, and there's, there's a lot of good gigs where I could think, yeah, that was amazing. But I, I think ones that stand out are like ones that we got involved with like uh, Stuart Baxter who at the time was organising for all the Love Music Hate races and things and um, uh, the Warren Youth Centre um, and so they put up like real big shows at the Hull City Hall and on Queen's Gardens and uh, I've actually got a picture hung up on my wall in the year of uh, me carrying my eldest son while he's like two years old, waving the Love Music Hate Racism flag. And we, we played to like thousands of people. And and there's just some amazing memories from that day alone. Like, But um, in terms of like stories and stuff, I mean, we could, because of how, because of how stupid we were in our youth, like we, there were gigs where we were, we played in Scotland. Um, I think it was like a four or five day tour. And the first show we played, um, we'd stopped the van at the traffic lights pulling up to the gig and people were like graffitiing on the side of the van. Um, and so we like tried to put a stop to that, but then a load of like, load of their gang came chasing the van down the street because we didn't realise who they were with and then got all the stuff loaded into the venue and went for a takeaway before the show. Um, and while we were in the takeaway, some young lad popped his head through the door and started shooting fireworks at us. So it's like the first like hour of being in Glasgow is like the most terrifying hour um, of our tour in life. And then we finally got to the show to play and uh, Simon said something like, oh, it's, it's, it's as dry as a nun's fanny in here. Um, I don't know if that's a bit over the, over the top. Like, but you literally had someone in the crowd go, oh. And, it, and from then on, it was just like real dead. Um, and it was a real... Real bad feeling for a, a, a gig, um, especially as a punk band. Like, but yeah, there's a, a lot of memories up and down. Like, just real. Yeah, it's it, definitely an experience being in that band. Like, there was a lot of crazy times and a lot of good times. After the introduction to Glasgow that they gave you in the first half an hour, it seems a bit of a. Yeah, a bit of a. I can't believe they took that joke so badly. Yeah, um, I think Glasgow is like still quite strongly uh, a religious place, isn't it? So pulling jokes out like that's maybe not the best. And the crowd where young people at all, it was uh, just your typical 
Tuesday night crowd of the locals. So you're talking like loads of 50 and 60 year old men and women that are just there after a day's work and they didn't want to be watching young punk bands, especially of our calibre. Like, um, so yeah, but we did a lot of shows like that and a lot of bands still do. Like it's part of the touring experience as a young band, isn't it? So you, you really like, uh, you've got to get those things under your belt to experience what being in a band is really like, I think. I think so. And then, uh, unfortunately, the cliques ceased to be uh, after, you say, three or four years. And then it was a couple more years before Simon, unfortunately, departed. He left us. Um, I didn't know him too well. Um, oh, hello, there's the puppy. This, this one's a kitten. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's a yeah. weird-looking puppy, I was thinking. Oh, we're animal people. We've got... We've got... We've got four cats and one of them's just had four kittens and then we've got the dog and we've got three lizards. Um, love animals, like. They look a little bit like Joe Exotic when I uh, take my glass, lift my glasses Yeah, up. fucking basking. <laughs> Everybody's watched it. It's amazing. It's amazing. But yeah, just to get back to Simon, it was obviously a massive shock in 2014 uh, when he left us. I remember the there being a, a memorial gig at Fruit where the Paddingtons, I think that was sort of the the catalyst maybe for the Paddingtons getting back together to play some shows. So obviously, like good things came out of it, but it's not nothing to um, nothing to make up for the loss. Um, and anybody that I know considers him that he was always the life and soul of the party. Um, what are your memories of uh, of Simon as a person rather than just a bandmate? Um, well, when I first met him in school, I don't think either of us, we were both the type of people that could get along with anybody, but you didn't really, you know, like really intimately get to know people. Um, and so we, we just kind of like got along and kind of like flew through different types of people, like, you know, different cliques, um, but we just kind of like hit it off straight away because we were both jokers um, and we were both just like young idiots really. So we just kind of like stuck to each other like glue. Um, and I don't ever remember a time in our youth when we didn't particularly like each other. We just, I mean, there was one time um, that I talk about quite a lot of his mum. And when I was uh, maybe 11 years old, I ran away from home because I was having a bit of a rough patch with my mum. Um, and Simon was just like, oh, I'll come with you. Uh, so we, we both ran away and we'd like snuck across these fields behind our school. And it was like big farmer's fields with like a giant, um, like hay barn or something like that. And for about four or five hours, we were just kind of like sat there twiddling our thumbs, not really knowing what to do. Because what do you do when you're that young and you've run away? And at those times, there weren't like mobile phones or anything to keep you entertained. So we were just kind of like sat there thinking what have we done here? And uh, it got to maybe half 10, 11 on the night and I really needed to go to the toilet. Uh, and I won't, I won't go in no hair band with no toilet roll. So I was like, oh, I'm going home. I can't stand this. I'm just gonna, I need to go for a toilet trip. Um, and he was just like, what? I can't go home. My mum will kick my ass. And it was like, well, what do you want me to do? And, uh, and that's like the type of person that he was, do you know, like, I mean, I know we were best mates and everything, but you don't just run away from home because your mate's running away from home. And, but he just wanted to know that I was 
going to be safe and I had someone with me and it was him and yeah it was a, a real nice gesture and it's I think it's like one of the things that we always laughed about over the years um, many more um, memories as well like that but he, he's just that type of person like and as we got older and got to understand more about who we are and who other people are like we, we had a lot more friends and and you just you just naturally kind of bring people under your wing, or you, you want to be friends with everybody because there's no point in you know being any other way really. Like everybody should be friends. We should be living in like a, a peaceful world. And and he, he had that exact personality. Like so, he just wanted to wanted to have all the friends and wanted to make people laugh and make people happy because that's that's just all we've got really at the end of the day. Um. So yeah, he's the best person I ever knew, and I, I absolutely like. I think about him every day, and I, I miss him like mad. Um, a big part of my life that I just can't get back, and yeah, I really miss him a lot. I mean, thank you for talking about him at such length, and letting anybody that hasn't ever met Simon sort of understand a little bit about what made him the way he was, and uh, such a. The sort of personality that in times that are so difficult, like right now, uh, we could do with having around. And I'm sure wherever he is, he's cracking some jokes and laughing at how we're all dealing with it. And uh, yeah, anyone that's ever known him has uh, at least a few really, really memorable times that they can look back on. And uh, I think that's a gift. Yeah, uh, I think while we're here, It'd be a good time to move on to Dave and then we can uh, move on and, and try to, uh... yeah, well, I guess two real superstars of Hull Music, two memorable front men, uh, two people that had the everybody in the room in the palm of the hand whenever they were on stage that we've lost in the last few years. So, unfortunately, as well as some, um, and we also lost Dave Cardo Sinclair a couple of years ago. And for me, like, I didn't necessarily know these people as um, really close friends, but I knew them as people that always had time for me, um, people that respected the fact that I'd maybe come to watch them play and uh, supported what they did. Um, and... Again, I've I've come back to it maybe a couple of times. Didn't have that attitude that you sort of get when a band does well, where they look down on somebody else that's just starting out and um, and trying to be like a, a young pretender or something. Neither of them have that attitude. Uh, and I don't think you played with the GST Cardinals, but they were a big band as well for me growing up, like the Paddingtons were. We had we had uh, quite a few shows actually, like where the cliques played with the GSTs, um, and they they were also very mental nights because obviously like Dave, the big personality that he was, um, and the sort of the stage persona that he had, um, both those two bands together were they would cause quite a lot of mayhem, um, and yeah, just every single time I saw Dave, I, I, I don't think there was a night where he did not pour a beer over my head um, but it was just all like yeah all part of the act and part of the fun um, 
and so you just could never look at him angrily like you couldn't tell him off because it especially for me like because I don't know maybe it's just part of people but I'd live for those nights like if I get if I are getting a beer poured over my head in jest then it's not been a good night um and so yeah there were some really good shows like especially uh we played one at the at the time it was Beeritz I think it's called like the Goose and Granite or something now on uh, George Street in Hull um and we we actually funnily enough had to take our drum kit um to supply for the GSTs but we played with them and we had to walk all our gear from my house down Oldness Road to the Beeritz so we were talking like four or five trips of like amps, guitars, drum kit, full full kit stands. The lot at the at the time as well, we were all broke, so nothing was in cases. It was just like awkwardly carrying big metal stands and stuff. And we did all that, carried it there, set up, sound checked, played the shows, and like I say, it was just a mental night. Beers poured over everybody's heads, and uh, probably a few fights kicking off. Um, but just general, genuinely. I can't even say the word. Generally, it it was a really good night um, with two great bands at the time. Like it was good fun. Definitely do it all over again. All even though my calves were killing the next day. I I was lucky enough to have the chance to um, not imitate, but try to fill Dave's shoes in that after he died, his bandmates in GST Cardinals got back together to to raise some money basically, and. Uh, obviously pay homage to what a personality he was. And over the years, I'd got to know Matt, uh, who played guitar for GST Cardinals, and he put me forward as somebody that, that might may be interested in sort of singing for them at these shows. And I was absolutely honoured to be asked. And they were some of the most incredible shows I've ever done. Sold out Welly, uh, sold out Adelphi the year later. Um but the one thing that Matt kept saying is, don't, don't pour a beer over my head. Don't, don't do it. And I've got this, uh, I do have a bit of a mischievous streak in me, but if someone asks me not to, then I'll probably listen and I won't do it. But I do regret not pouring a beer over his head because again, I don't think he would have been able to, uh, to do anything about it. He would have just looked at me afterwards and said, uh, that's what, that's what Dave would have done. I'm just fiddling because my phone needs charging, apparently. Um, sorry, sorry, sorry. That's all right, mate. That's all right. You get yourself plugged in. And I'll talk a little bit to, be, to, to kick the next segment off about Mother. So you shared the stage with the GSTs and the cleats over the years on Bills Together. But it wasn't until Mother formed where you got to share the stage performance-wise with Dave. And whereas the Cleeps and GSTs were sort of the bands you put together when you're teenagers and you're young and full of it and just getting your things together, Mother was something of a supergroup with Dave on vocals, Alex Day on guitar, yourself on drums, Chris on bass and Frosty on keys. And something that's come up a couple of times this week has been how when you've been in a number of bands, you learn from the mistakes that you make over the years and you really come out the gates like 100 miles an hour. And I think Mother definitely did that. Uh, can you talk was, a little uh, bit about yeah. Mother and the experiences you had? 
Well, Mother was like a really insane band. Like they were, I think Mother had just started um, as the cliques were talking about doing a reunion. So there's, um, I, I can't remember if the cliques actually ever played the show, but I've got a poster somewhere from uh, Sidekicks Lounge when it had moved to um, Barracuda, I think. And so there were like, there was Mother, uh, the cliques, a couple of other really good bands at the time on as well. Um, I think we did play the show, but yeah, it was kind of a weird time because at that point, I would never have said in a million years, like, I'm going to be the drummer of Mother. Um, and I don't even know if they played the same songs they did when I did eventually join. Um, but they were obviously like a really cool band because you can't have a band with Frosty and... Uh, Dave in it that's just not a fucking cool band um, and so you watch and just think like Dave was obviously the most amazing frontman in the world anyway like he always kind of reminded me of like a sexy Jim Morrison um, and Jim Morrison was sexy anyway but uh, it was just really good to watch a band like that and then obviously the cliques kind of did our reunion thing and then let it die off um, and then a couple of years later, when I was still at the point only doing Holy Orders and the Nirvana tribute, um, I can't remember. I think what it was was uh, Joe Brody, the drummer at the time of Mother, had been asked to go across to America um, to do some. Uh, he did like a tour with a band. I can't remember their name now. Um, they weren't a bad band. Oh, was it Drowners, I think they were called. But anyway, he goes off to the States to do the tour. Um, so I was asked to fill in while he was gone. And it was only supposed to be a temporary thing. Um, but I joined and we played a couple of shows. And I think the first show that I played with them was in London. Um, I forget the venue. Um, it was a fairly decent venue. Um, it's definitely quite a popular venue now. Um, but we we played that show after a, a three or four rehearsals or so, and uh, it went off really well. Like, we were first or second band on, but it was one of those bands where straight away everyone was talking and people were just, like, congratulating you on what a good set it was. And Dave, being Dave, had actually, like, rocked up late to the show because he didn't travel with the band, so his dad had drove him down in his Range Rover. Um, but we played this real good show, um, it was possibly even the first full set that we'd gone through with Dave because he didn't really turn up to rehearsals that much. So we'd like seen bits of him, but then yeah, we, we, we played a really good show anyway. And, and then after that first show, I was just like, I don't really want this to be a temporary thing at all. Like I, I would like to stay as a drummer of the band. And so we, we stuck at it. Um, and every show after that was just like just explosive and, yeah, it was amazing. Like we, off the back of a few shows, we got um, a few people interested, and they took us down to uh, Metropolis Studios in London. So we got to go and record a, an EP there, next door to while um, Van Morrison, I think, were recording in the next room. So we were like a bit taken aback by that. Um, and I think Dave was even tatting in the skip, one of the guitarists from the band as well. So that was a sight to see. But yeah, we, we got that. 
um, we made some really good demos in there. And then shortly after, um, I got a phone call from Frosty one night and he was just like, oh, don't tell anybody, but we're going to be doing Leeds and Reading this year. Um, so as, as a as a musician that for, at the time, maybe 10 years, all I'd wanted to do and thought of it as like the pinnacle of being a musician was going to be playing Leeds and Reading. Um, I got to follow in the footsteps of some great bands from Hull and went down to play the BBC introducing stage at Leeds and Reading and the weekend was crazy because we'd played Leeds, Reading. Uh, we did, I forget what it's called now, but there was a festival in York at the time and then a show in London. So it was like four or five days of just hammering out the same set um, and just having a really amazing time doing it with some real good lads. And um, at one point, Dave actually drove us from York to Reading and it was like the longest drive of my life, especially because Dave's driving was mental. Um, so you just kind of like laid in the back of a pitch black van with loads of space, no gear, just thinking what, what's going on here for four or five hours. Like, but We got there and it was an amazing time. Um, took some real good friends with us and yeah, good memories again. Like really, really great band to have been involved in. I think considering Dave's adversity to rehearsals that how tight that band was and how it all came together on stage was really something to behold. And if anybody has never seen uh, a mother performance, there are a couple of videos on YouTube. I think there's two from Reading and Leeds, and there's also one that you did live in session at introducing on Humberside. And they're all, all insane performances. And I highly recommend that everybody checks those out. One of my, uh, latter memories of Dave I, I mean I can see exactly where it was I, I didn't used to live here on the marina I used to live in the old town of Hull and there was an evening where a few days after we'd played a live session for again for BBC introducing on Humberside uh, I'd been sent the stems and I'd had them mixed and I used to like to smoke a jay go for a wander, put my headphones in and just see how the mixes sounded on a, on a bit of a walk. And I walked past a restaurant that I can see over there and Dave was sat there with a girl on a date and I walked past with a joint and he totally sacked off his date in order to follow me to the marina and share the rest of my joint with me. I don't know who she was. I don't know whether he ever saw her again or whether he even went back there to see her after he'd left her, abandoned her in the beer garden of the pub. <laughs> but, yeah, Dave was an incredible guy. Any, any particular memories of Dave on a personal level, right, again, rather than just a bandmate that stick out for you? Um, yeah, there's a few that stick out, like, because I think if you ever met Dave, anybody that ever met him is going to have, like... A, an unusual memory about how friendly of a guy he was. Um, and again, the same sort of guy that's just going to immediately take you under his wing and be the most friendliest person in the world, like no matter who you are. Um, I think one of the funniest times I've ever bumped into him off the cuff was uh, I was just doing a bit of DIY shopping in uh, B&Q and I'd walked in and he was just like, he was down there with his girlfriend at the time um, 
and he was just like crouching down. I think it was like light bulbs or, or batteries or something like that. But I'd, I'd like walk by and just give him a little nudge, like, oh, no, then how's it going? Um, and he'd give me a big hug and we just like got onto a quick conversation. Um, and then when we'd finished, he was like, oh, can you uh, just walk that way? And I was like, oh, what's this all about then? Um, so I started walking off and as I turned around, he's like shoving batteries into his inside pocket. <laughs> I, I think it was light bulbs actually, come to think of it. But I was just thinking like, light bulbs, why light bulbs? <laughs> and uh, yeah, he was just a funny guy like that. Like the guy, I think he just loved a bit of a, a frill. And so he could have all the money in his in the world in his pocket. But if he thought he could get away with nicking a sandwich from a little garage, he'd be like, oh, I'm going to have a go at that. Um, and the same sort of thing at like when we were on tour and gigging around and stuff and we'd all have money and we'd all be stopping off at a garage to fill up with fuel and then we all go in for some snacks or lunch or whatever and no matter what happened as soon as we started driving Dave would be like right who wants uh, some chocolate <laughs> peanuts who wants a Mars bar and, he, and he's pulling all these things out and you're like bloody hell Dave um, and he, I think he just loved the loved life and loved that thrill like he was he was just a, a little tinker um but in the best possible way like everything was just a laugh and yeah same again like as sam he's just like the nicest most down-to-earth person um everybody got along with him and absolutely everybody loved him and you can tell with the pair of them like the reception at both the funerals was just unreal um and as sad days as the way like it was a beautiful thing to see so many people turning out and showing the love for both of them like really nice yeah i'm in agreement with that uh, i've always felt that it seems a slightly strange thing to say uh but dave's funeral was uh like incredible like it's the two words don't seem to really go together in a sentence like that was that was the best funeral i've ever been to that's not how i mean it um, yeah uh, but the setting and the number of people that turned out to pay respects and uh, just remember, remember him. I, I, I was unable to, or I, I didn't make Simon's. I can't remember the circumstances around that. Um, but I'm massively grateful to both of those guys uh, for showing me that I could do the same thing and being fucking decent about it the whole way through as well. All right. Well, I thank you a lot for uh, for talking about for talking about Dave and Simon like that at such length with me. That's uh, I'd like to move on to Nirvana and this uh, little side pre project of yours that you've been doing for the last, I'm going to say, ten years. It is ten years this year. We're celebrating our tenth anniversary instead of doing it all in support of an album. Um, so yeah, it's been a long ride. Um, and a lot of ups and downs, but it's uh, it's been abandoned. Some very very good experiences, like. So for anybody that doesn't know, James is Kurt Cobain in the Nirvana tribute band Nirvana. Uh, the best name you could probably have come up with for a Nirvana tribute band. Um, and yeah, you are. When you're on stage, it could be Nirvana. It sounds just like the real thing. You look a hell of a lot like Kurt. What for you is it like? Because because Nirvana is obviously the one or the band with the biggest immediate payoff in that everybody in the crowd already knows and loves the music. So you've not had to 
go through the the graft like you did in the cliques days of playing 300 gigs in a short space of time because Nirvana did that for you. Um, but it is obviously, they are the gigs where you probably get the biggest audiences and stuff. How does it feel for you as a musician who has written and performed original material for so long? What's it like having the best gigs, but wishing that it was for your, maybe wishing it was your original material? I don't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah, you can. I mean, when we started off, it still was a graft because um, you, you still having to put those shows in and get people knowing your name like I, I think you'd be very lucky to find a tribute that has just gone out and immediately like started playing sellout shows and stuff like that I mean our, our first gig was at Lamp and it was I've said it before um, in a documentary about us um, that was uh, the same thing we, we played our first show and it was the worst gig that I've ever played like we played terribly um barely anybody there we maybe got paid about 50 quid um which in original bands terms is amazing but um as a tribute you're kind of thinking well what, why am i like selling myself out to make 50 quid that's getting shared between three people um and so it was difficult at first and the first year was just the same as being in an original band except you're playing other people's music we we played tiny venues no money in it um starting to think like why are we doing this um is it just because i mean you do you are doing it basically just because you love the band but at the same time as a musician that's what you're hoping is going to start being your bread and butter um but luckily like a friend of ours pat from the talks who you also know um he'd had a bit of experience with tributes and stuff and he, he put us onto the right people and got us the right shows um so in our second year we managed to get all the o2 academies behind us um so then we were going from playing to like 30 people in little toilet venues to playing to 500 and 600 people in bigger academy venues and you know being paid the proper money for it um and so that kind of helped us all out as musicians because you're especially 10 years ago you didn't want a normal job you just wanted to play music and that's it. So if you can do your Friday, Saturday nights, earning big money by playing music and then spend the rest of your time just in normal bands, then that's amazing. But it doesn't always work like that. And in between, we've kind of always had to go back and forth doing jobs. But it picked up and picked up and eventually it kind of like found its own legs. Um, so it turned into us looking for gigs to people getting in touch um, and wanting us to play a big venues big festivals um and then five or six years in we got to the point finally where we're playing like upwards of six seven hundred cap venues and selling them out um i remember the first one very vividly because we were playing and meeting some friends that we'd made in the band down in bristol and i'd said on the way down like because it was leading up to possibly being the first show that we'd sold out um, in such a big venue, so I, I kind of like jokingly said, "Oh well, if we do, um, I'll play an encore naked." And uh, unfortunately, we turned up, and the owner was like, "Oh, we sold out now." Um, so I, I held my end of the bargain up and uh, played the last four or five songs totally in the buff, 
I think at one point I actually turned towards the drums and bent over. Um, so that probably gave people a pretty picture. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a really solid band to be in purely on the, you know, giving you experiences that you might not ever get in an original band. Not a lot of original bands are going to get to, you know, travel Europe and play to 10,000 people in a massive tent. And it kind of like, I wouldn't say it gives you an ego, but it gives you like that. It's like, it gives you experiences that kind of bring you a bit more back down to earth because that, you you soon realise that maybe as an original musician, I'm not going to experience this. And so I should try out, um, you know, I should be nicer to people and, and you just, you can, it kind of, I don't know. I think being in that band has made me a nicer person because it helps you deal with things a lot different, a lot more differently than if you were just in an original band that just got shot there, bang. Um, especially in terms of like people knowing who you are um, because obviously after 10 years of doing that band, like a lot of people now is just like, that's that guy from Nirvana. Um, and obviously as a musician, I definitely don't want to be known as that's that guy from Nirvana. Like I want to be known as that's the drummer from the Holy Orders. That's the drummer from the Cliques. Like that's the drummer from Mother. Um, probably not so much. That's the drummer from Definitely Underpants. Um, oh, sorry. The singer from Definitely Underpants. I was never the drummer. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's helped me think about things in a different way being in that band to how it would have done if I was just straight up there with an original band, I think. So, yeah, I am who I am because of that band. Yeah, I can see how that would work in that uh, you play to such a big crowd and you now understand, like, how much graft it takes to get there, especially for an original's band, whether that's luck or other factors that are out of your control um that it is so difficult to get there now for an originals band for you to then have those experiences with nirvana and still be to you're still having that experience you're still performing to an enormous crowd um but then but then to come back and be in your originals bands and think well we should just feel lucky to have whatever we've got no matter what that is whether it's three people watching us or 10 it's still people giving you their attention and that's always something that I don't think you should turn your nose up at. What's it feel like to portray Kurt Cobain? How does it feel for you? Do you get into it in the sense that when you're on stage you're in a different headspace to where you would be performing with an originals band? Or um, is it something different for you? Well, the reason that I am a musician is because of Nirvana. Um, before I even started picking guitars up and playing drums, um, I was just always watching Kerrang TV because it was the only place where I thought you could find good music. And so Nirvana were my favourite band at the time. And I was just watching them and thinking, fuck, I'd like to do that. Um, and so when I, I mean, my first band pretty much was just a Nirvana and Silverchair covers band. We'd, we'd maybe played four or five of our I mean we had like an album but we maybe only played four or five of our own songs and then the rest of the set was Nirvana and Silverchair and we had like a a residency at a place called White Rooms that's not open anymore but it used to be on uh, on Chamberlain Road not far from Spiders and so every Friday night before Spiders opened we'd play there and we'd play like two hour sets or something like that so we're put you're talking like 
40 songs um, and most of that set was Nirvana and Silverchair um, and it wasn't until the cliques when we just I started playing predominantly original music um, or only original music I don't think we ever played a cover in, in the cliques um, and so revisiting it all 10 years later um, it was I hated the idea of tributes at the time but another friend of mine was in a tribute and he's like oh yeah but you might hate it and think it's selling out but look how much money I'm making like I don't have to work I'm doing this I'm traveling I'm playing amazing gigs um, and so I thought well I could probably do Nirvana because I used to love them and I used always used to play that and so it kind of felt natural when we first started um, it was a bit more difficult I've kind of like fallen into Um, my phone's just dying a little bit, I think. That's um, right. We're almost at the end. What was that? Sorry? It's all right. We're almost at the end. Um, well, yeah. So these days, like, when I'm on stage pretending to be care, I think it makes me more of a performer than a musician. Um, but sometimes when you've got the right atmosphere and the right, you're in the right place with the right people, like, you close your eyes and you almost feel as if that's, you know, that's your life. Like, you've it's a, it's a strange thing, like, um, especially during, like, my favourite certain songs or, as I say, playing to the the right kind of atmosphere. Um, it's it's just a, a surreal feeling, like, because as, as well, like, as a performer, sometimes you're like, I might be playing it and thinking, well, I'm really doing a really bad job here, but then a couple of songs in when you warmed up and stuff and you close your eyes and everything sounds perfect and you turn around and Sam's dressed exactly like Chris and Rob's dressed and looks exactly like a young Dave and you just kind of like, fucking hell, we're there. Like, um, so it's really strange, um, but it's a really good feeling. Like being a musician, you get that adrenaline when you're on stage and it just feels amazing anyway, but yeah, nothing really tops playing to thousands of people and they're all singing the songs back to you and you're you're just in total control of it and it's uh yeah. It's it's an amazing experience, like I love it. And it'll yeah. be a shame to give it up this year. Yeah, uh yeah, as you mentioned to me, it's uh, coming to the end of Nirvana and uh that will be a shame. You've always Provided me with a lot of entertainment, a big Nirvana a big Nirvana fan myself, uh, growing up, definitely one of the bigger influences in the Let Man Loose and the felony sound before that. And I was always a big fan of the bootleg Beatles growing up as well. I think I mentioned this with James from Fever the other night. Yeah, yeah. Like, they were a tribute band that really allowed me as a kid to 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 fall for the the illusion, if you like, and really feel involved like I was there at a Beatles gig. I was asked in the last year or so if I would like to join a Kasabian tribute band and I turned it down on the basis that I'm just not that big of a Kasabian fan anymore. I was in my teenage years a, a bit into the third album uh, but I feel like to to try and fill someone else's shoes in that sort of way like you do with Cat and like the bootleg Beatles do with the Beatles, takes a real love for that music in in order to do it as authentically as you can. 
and also for you to enjoy it as much as you can. And uh, I felt like I'd feel a little phony uh, pretending to be Tom from Kasabian. Um, as yeah, I'm not. I'm not 100% into what they do anymore. I think, uh, yeah, I, think I made the right choice. Yeah, I'll be all in on it, I think. Definitely. Or, or not. something you're passionate about. So my last question to you, James, and I thank you for your time. Can you do a better cover of Nirvana than Wes Scantling from Puddle of Mud? <laughs> what, you mean like right now? Well, um, no, not right now, but just can you? <laughs> if you want to, then go ahead. But um, in general... Yeah, I mean, I, I feel sorry for the guy because I, I recently, um, I watched the, I put Kerrang! on my TV and I've seen Puddle of Mud. They're still playing the same songs on that channel as they were 15, 20 years ago when I first started watching it. And I used to enjoy Puddle of Mud just as much as Nirvana because they had that kind of, you know, grungy sound. And Me too. Right. The first album, is it Come Clean? Yeah, yeah. Great album. Well, I, I watched it and... He came on the other day and I was thinking, oh, yeah, Puddle of Mud, fucking hell, it's been a long time. And so I was watching it and enjoying it. And then I saw that video on uh, social media the, the other day. What was he doing? I don't, I don't know. Because like, surely that guy, on, I mean, he's, he's got some built-in screams on his songs and stuff. And I just don't know what he was doing. I, I don't know why they've even let anybody publish. It's probably, possibly the worst performance I've ever seen um, from someone that's supposedly been playing music for 25, 30 years. Like it's, he must've just been having a bad day or that was like the end of a four hour set or something like, I feel sorry for the guy. It was pretty bad, but I can do better than that. So I, would, I don't mind saying it. I think yeah. like you said, that's the sort of session where you'd leave it at the end and go, uh, we're just going to scrap that. You're not. You're not putting that out. <laughs> but yeah, it's been uh, it's been the butt of many a joke, as you say on social media. So if you haven't seen Puddler Mud's cover of Nirvana, their recent yeah, check cover, it out. go check it out and have some soothing panpipe music on hand for afterwards, so you can calm down. Yeah, you're going to need something to relieve the tension after that because it made me cringe. I don't think I've cringed so much apart from watching Courtney Love's uh, solo channels when she was playing some gig um, and that was terrible. Like her guitars, well, I don't even want to talk about it. It's disgusting. They shouldn't allow, they just shouldn't allow it. It's, it was bad, 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 bad. All right, well, let's wrap things up. Thank you for your time. Thank you for joining me and no worries, thank you for keeping me in. Mother, Dave, Simon, and yourself as care. It's been nice. And, yeah, uh, I feel bad because we didn't talk about the Holy Orders too much. Um, but we will be getting back together after all this is uh, blown over and I can't wait to get back to the band I miss them and we've been on a bit of a hiatus. Um, so it's, it's going to be it's gonna be good to get back and hopefully they're not too mad at me for... Uh, losing my head a little bit for the last year or so and uh, yeah we can just get back to it and yeah on to bigger and better things so yeah the holy orders are a fantastic band and uh, you are right we didn't uh, touch on the holy orders as much as we maybe should have during this chat but i think we uh, we got taken elsewhere during our our time limit that we have enforced on us by instagram yeah but hey ho maybe we can do another one and talk exclusively about early orders. 
Well, I, I, I've got nothing better to do, mate, apart from my garden. So you let me know. <laughs> all right, mate. Well, thank you for joining me and thank you for watching. It'll be good to see you again after it's all over. I'll see you later. Let's go for a pint. Definitely. I'll see you later.